Can a dairy cooperative balance the sustainability demands of consumers while still creating delicious cheeses, yogurts, and ice creams? There's one cooperative in Tillamook County, Oregon, who believes it is possible to achieve both goals. Tillamook County Creamery Association Executive Vice President of Stewardship, Paul Snyder, will discuss the cooperative's West Coast origins, its sustainability mission, and its expansion plans on this episode of the Food Institute Podcast, coming at you right now. All right, everybody. I know we're getting into the dog days of summer over here, and I hope you've all had a little time for rest and relaxation, but things are heating up for the Food Institute. Make sure to visit foodinstitute.com newsletters to sign up for all of our free newsletters if you haven't already done so. If you haven't, you can definitely do so by following the link in the description of this episode, and you'll be able to stay up to date with our content schedule for the rest of the summer and heading into the fall. So, with that out of the way, welcome to the show, Paul. I was hoping you could share a little bit about your own career history and how you came to work with Tillamook in the first place. Thanks. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Uh, so I've been with Tillamook now for four years. Um, previous to this, I had about a 20-year career in the hotel industry. Um, but what really sort of brought me to my present position was while I was in the hotel industry, I started to get involved in what most people consider corporate responsibility, uh, either from a sustainability perspective or from a community-based and social impact perspective. Uh, to the point where finally that became my job um, in the hotel industry. Uh, And then uh, this opportunity at Tillamook uh, presented itself to continue that sort of career arc. And so um, in my present job as executive vice president of stewardship, I oversee um, our communications uh, function, government relations and external relations function. uh, But a lot of my time is spent doing our environment and community impact. And thanks for sharing that. I think now would be a great time to dive into the history of Tillamook as well. What can you tell me about the cooperative? Uh, So we are 114 years old, founded out on the coast of Oregon by a group of dairy farmers in 1909. Uh, They, uh, out Tillamook County is a great place to dairy. It's got very, very high quality grass, which translates into really, really high quality milk. Um, but it was tough at the time to get the milk to market, whether it's Portland or anywhere else before it would spoil. So a bunch of farmers got together, uh, pooled their resources and created a cheese factory and converted their milk to cheese, which of course would be, um, stable for a longer period of time. And that is how the company started. Uh, and over the course of the ensuing call it, you know, hundred years or so really became an iconic Pacific Northwest brand. Uh, you know, there's something like in excess of 80% of the households in the Pacific Northwest have Tillamook uh, in their refrigerators. Um, And so we have a creamery and visitor center out on the coast that is uh, the second most visited tourist site uh, in Oregon. Uh, And over the course of those hundred years or so, we just really became part of the fabric of the whole Pacific Northwest. Then around 10 years ago, um, our uh, farmers who are our owners and also our board members, Uh, decided that maybe it was time to grow a little bit. Um, And so uh, they hired my boss, Patrick Kreitzer, who's our president and CEO, uh, who had a a long history of growing companies. And so he came in and uh, started a real growth growth phase for us. And so we first went into the West um, and were very successful there, particularly in California. And then for the last number of years, we've had a real big push East. We sort of ironically call it the frontier strategy because for those of us in Oregon, Uh, the frontier is to the east. Um, And as a result, we've gone from 
uh, you know, three, four, five hundred million dollars in revenues to over one point two billion dollars in revenues. So um, we are growing massively across the country. Um, if you're in the southeast or the northeast, you're starting to see our cheese and ice cream uh, at all your local grocery stores. And uh, we're sharing just sort of our Oregon deliciousness across all of the 50 states. You know, it's funny. Typically, when I do the podcast, I'm talking to upstart companies and, you know, the Food Institute's 95 years old. So it's finally that time where I'm talking to a company that's got a little bit longer of a pedigree. So it's really interesting to get that perspective. Um, And to your point, you know, in New Jersey, where I'm at, I was at a theme park recently and I actually saw the product. So it is cool to see it growing. And talking about those products, I know you mentioned cheese. I know you mentioned ice cream. What kind of products are you selling all over all with the portfolio? Can we dive into that a little bit? Sure. I mean, so it always starts with cheese for us. So our cheddar um, is the best cheddar cheese you'll find anywhere. Uh, It wins awards. We've got both a medium cheddar and an aged sharp cheddar. Uh, We've got some Maker's Reserve, which are really sort of artisanal uh, cheddars. Um, You know, that's really that's really the bulwark of the business is, is our history and our line of cheddars. But we've got other cheeses as well um, and in different formats. So you can either get, you know, sort of a bar of cheese or a block of cheese. We call it a baby loaf. Uh, You can also get us in slices and shreds, both cheddar. And we also have, you know, a whole host of other other uh, flavors. Uh, I really like pepper jack, uh, which is Monterey Jack with peppers in it. Um, And like I said, you can get it in shreds, um, either farm style cut shreds. Um, or uh, you can get it in slices. And so all sorts of different formats and that type of thing. Uh, we also have got a really great ice cream business. Um, our ice cream is fantastic. Uh, uh, and I, there are too many flavors today, but I'm just going to go ahead and say mudslide is amazing. Um, uh, and so those are really our two big parts of our business, our, our cheese and our ice cream. But we've also got a great line of yogurts. People love our butter. Uh, which has got actually sea salt in it, then that's delicious. Um, we've got a whole host of uh, like other products like sour creams, you know, anything pretty much that's dairy except for fluid milk. We, you know, we play in in one way, form, or fashion. And so we've got a, a pretty broad dairy line, um, uh, but you know, really the focus is on cheese and ice cream. So one thing I'd like to talk about a little bit is just how it's been interesting over the last few years for the food industry. We've had the pandemic, which upended people's lives a little bit. We had a bunch of inflationary kind of pressures coming in. But one of the things I've noticed is that a lot of consumer behavior has really kind of been sticky through all of this. So I'm wondering from your perspective, when you take a look at, you know, how consumers are reacting to your product, what can you say about, you know, that resilience? Are you seeing that as well? Yeah, we we actually have. I mean, dairy as a sector continues to grow, Um, even through uh, COVID, uh, where obviously a lot of people were, you know, cooking at home. But even now, here in the recent past, into the inflationary environment we're in, we're continuing to see um, our category grow. Um, And we are, you know, we are one of the fastest growing cheese and ice cream brands within that category. And so, uh, people, you know, people love their dairy. They love cheese. They love ice cream and all the rest of it. It's a foundational part of people's nutrition. You know, this stuff is incredibly nutritious. Um, uh, and it's just, it's a staple, um, both in the home, also out, you know, out in the world, actually our cheese, uh, is, is named on more menus than any other cheese. So we're just, we're seeing a real resilience, um, for our category, uh, in, in dairy across across all segments uh, as we go through these really yeah pretty pretty big shifts in consumer behavior and and macro trends that they're having to deal with 
Yeah, and one of those resiliency points, I think at least, is that consumers continue to look for food products uh, that have a general sense of responsibility, I think, you know, coming from companies that really embrace that aspect. And I found it very interesting that even, you know, amid inflation, it seems consumers are willing to, you know, basically trade up for products that can really deliver on those demands. So I'm wondering from your perspective, you know, what does it mean for Tillamook to be a certified B Corp and kind of engage with consumers on that level? Sure. You know, our farmers from the, our founding, um, you know, it was more than just the business. This was about the community. Um, and so our cooperative has always been there uh, for certainly, you know, obviously the well-being of the cows and the farms, but also, you know, the, the local ecosystems, the communities, our employees and consumers. It's just been really our heritage is to really think about all of these different stakeholders right from our founding in 1909. Um, and everybody in the Pacific Northwest, like I said, who so many people had our product in their fridges, they knew that people in the Pacific Northwest knew that Tillamook was a values-based brand, um, that thought about more than its bottom line. As we moved into the West, uh, and then really moved into the East, you know, fewer people knew that we were more than just a great tasting product in a really good looking package. And so B Corp gave us the opportunity um, to set ourselves up as a company for people that didn't know us, uh, that takes into account more than just its bottom line. Um, in fact, in 2017, uh, our farming owners, uh, who are you know really the ones that run this company and make the decisions about it, uh, voted into effect um, a stewardship charter that directs management as a matter of policy, not preference, but as actually as a matter of policy, to take into account um, uh, the welfare of the cows, the, the conditions of the farms, the uh, preservation of the ecosystems, um, you know, making sure that we're enriching our communities, uh, engaging our employees and inspiring consumers, that so we are required to take all of those stakeholders into account uh, when we're making decisions um, as a management team. And so B Corp really lets people know that, that lets people know um, that we really are more than the bottom line, that we've got a commitment to the highest levels of environmental, social, and governments uh, across every element of our business. And that when they're buying our product, they're not only getting something um, that is made right in terms of how it tastes, but made right in terms of how it came to be. From the cow all the way to the consumer, uh, we take being a responsible business incredibly seriously. We donate 4% of our net income to local nonprofits. We've set environmental targets that are very ambitious. Um, we have a deep-seated commitment uh, to our communities and to our employees and to our cows. These are all things that the B Corp certification lets people know about as they get to know our products across the country. And I'd love to dive into that a little bit more and talk a little bit about the climate action plan. So from what I was researching, it looks like it extends into 2050, but there are some goals that uh, you're trying to reach by 2030. So can we talk about those shorter term goals? And then maybe we'll talk about a little bit of the longer term goals as well. Sure. So the, the dairy industry, most people in the dairy industry committed a number of years ago to a net zero commitment by 2050. Um, uh, but that's a long way away. Uh, and when you're trying to really sharpen focus around driving towards that long-term commitment, and quite frankly, demonstrate to the various stakeholder groups that are important to you that you mean it when you say that you're gonna lower your carbon footprint, we felt that an interim target uh, made a lot of sense. And so our interim target is a 30% reduction 
at our, against our 2020 baseline by 2030 across all scopes, scopes one, two, and three. Um, and we have a climate action plan, as you referenced, that has in it a whole host of different strategies that are meant to help us get there. Um, but it's a, you know, it's a stretching target. We believe it's achievable, uh, but it's going to take a lot of work, uh, both in our factories, uh, in our fleet and on our farms to get there. But we're committed to doing it because, uh, quite frankly, taking care of the land, taking care of the environment is, again, part of our cooperative's heritage going back to its founding because, quite frankly, we depend on the land and the environment and water uh, to, quite frankly, sustain our cooperative. We can't, you know, without a healthy ecosystem, we can't be a healthy cooperative. And so um, it makes a lot of sense to us. Um, this target was endorsed by our board uh, and we're driving against it uh, hard every single day. Yeah, and I like that holistic viewpoint of it, you know, the fact that you're a steward, but it's also going to benefit the business because you rely on it, right? I think that's a really important point. And like I said, I'd like to also just kind of take a look at that 2050 plan as well. And I think you mentioned a little bit there, but can we clarify exactly what that plan is trying to accomplish uh, during that next, you know, I guess two and a half decades at this point, give or take? Yeah, you know, it's um, you sort of take things in stages. So we, we think a lot more about the 2030 target right now and how we're getting there. Um, but there's some things that we know long term are going to support our 2050 ambition. Um, uh, we're taking a look at um, digesters, uh, the ability to actually digest uh, the, um, the manure from our cows in a way that we can actually pull the methane out. And that's the greenhouse gas that we have to contend with as an industry. Um, and then that methane gas can be repurposed to you know, power a truck fleet or to, or to power a boiler in a plant. Uh, and that's a lot of infrastructure that's going to take a number of years to, to stand up fully across our entire cooperative. Um, we're looking into partnerships with our co-manufacturing relationships uh, to find ways for us to work together um, over the long term to hit that, that net zero. Uh, we're keeping an eye on new technologies. A lot of people right now are really excited about seaweed as a food additive to, um, uh, to lower methane. And so we're interested to see how that plays out. And we're already deploying a number of technologies. Like we have an additive that we can add to uh, manure right now uh, that lowers, uh, lowers its methane emissions. We've transitioned our truck fleet to renewable diesel. Um, we're doing a number of things in our plants that, again, are going to help service not just to 2030, but beyond into 2050. But in all honesty, um, you know, I, we would, we in a hand on heart would have to say, we don't know exactly how we're going to get there, uh, but we know that we need to. So when we make that kind of a, that long-term commitment, Chris, it's one that's done humbly because it's a big challenge, uh, but it's one that's done firmly in that even though we don't have a perfect line of sight, how we're going to get there to 2050, we're absolutely committed to doing it. And I appreciate that kind of viewpoint. I think, you know, a lot of the times consumers see these lofty goals and to your point there, you know, 2050 is both, you know, a significant time period away. I think by the time we get there, we'll be like, oh, I can't believe it went so quickly, right? But I think that's just human nature. Uh, but at the end of the day, I do think consumers are looking for a way to actually track these initiatives in the current day. I don't think it's good enough anymore for you to just say, hey, we're doing this. I think, you know, tracking and reporting on that's very important. So I was wondering, what is Tillamook doing to kind of like communicate the message here? I know you've already said that you're the B Corp. You know, a lot of people already know your history on the West Coast and Oregon, especially, you know, especially. But when you're trying to communicate these things, to newer consumers that aren't as familiar with the brand, what are you guys doing? The, the really main way that we do that is through our stewardship report. That's an annual report that we release 
um, that tells the story of, a, or tells a bunch of stories about some of the initiatives that we're driving within the cooperative. But most importantly, it has on there, you know, uh, a table of all of our key performance indicators uh, and how we're doing against our ambitions. Um, and I'm really proud of the, the level of transparency that we're committed to, because sometimes you see those tables and say, everything's green. Uh, everything is not green on our table. We've got some challenges that we're wrestling with. We're, we're not where we want to be in some respects. We're ahead of where we want to be in others. Um, but we, you know, from our perspective and from the kind of people that we work for in terms of our farm, farmer members, um, you know, you don't sort of, uh, you don't sort of obfuscate. You just sit there and you tell it like it is and where you are and you're very transparent. Um, and that's and that's how we conduct ourselves and that's how we let consumers or any other stakeholder know how we're doing. We just lay it all out there in our stewardship report. You can you can find that online at uh, tillamook.com slash stewardship. And we'll definitely include a link to that in the description of this episode if anyone wants to take a look. I would like to ask, you know, at the end of the conversation here, let's talk about maybe one of the major successes you're seeing currently with your initiatives and maybe one of the major challenges you're seeing. Could you share those? Sure. Uh, you know, I mentioned the the transition of our truck fleet to renewable diesel. Um, that was that's just been a terrific success. Um, and it's funny how it kind of came about. You know, it's um, when it was first presented uh, to me, it's like, well, we've got this, we've got this thing, renewable diesel. Um, we don't have to actually retrofit any of our truck fleet. Uh, it costs about the same. And oh, by the way, it's easier on the engine, so you actually save on maintenance. And you know, you sort of sit there and say, well, that sounds all too good to be true. Um, but it all was true, and it is borne out. Um, and so. You know, that's one of those things that, you know, a lot of people think about sustainability issues as being really hard or really expensive. Some of them are. Um, but this was one where it's just like it just it, it was too good to be true, but it was absolutely true. Um, and so that's been a really wonderful success for us. Um, and we're now looking at other ways to to feed renewable diesel on other parts of our footprint, not just our t- truck fleet. Um, and so that that that's one that I'm, I'm really, really proud of. And, and it was also one that. Uh, was really championed um, by our fleet team. Um, our uh, environment team were their partners and consultants on it, but it was really our, our fleet folks that really took the lead on that. And that's one of the things that we try to do here at Tillamook is activate stewardship across the enterprise. Um, uh, and so that was a really great example of that. So really, really proud uh, and pleased with uh, with renewable diesel. Uh, what's been a challenge? Um, you know, really trying to figure out... Um, uh, how we manage manure and the off-gassing of methane um, from our farms is a big challenge. We've got some large farms uh, that have got you know a couple thousand cows or more, and we've got some really small farms, and so we're and we're geographically distributed across Tillamook County, um, and so you know it's it's really it's it's a hard thing, uh, and we're and we're still sort of struggling to figure out what's the right approach. Uh, to network those farms in such a way that we can actually um, collect all the manure and then process it. And so that's one that, you know, we, you know, we think we have a solution and then, oh, well, there's, there's a, there's a problem with that solution. Uh, And so we're still, we're still working that through. I wish we were a little further along on that one, but, um, but we know that this is the right approach. Uh, We just have to sort of uh, crack the code on some of the finer points of it so that we make sure that not only is it practical in terms of how it can be executed, but it's also ultimately profitable um, because we do believe that there's the opportunity for this to be 
also economically viable for our cooperative. I mean, the, that gas that we take out of the manure, we can sell, or we can use it again to power other parts of our business. Um, there are obviously a lot of places that are trying to sell things like credits and, and that type of a thing. Uh, and we just have to sort of, you know, crack the code on a very complex problem. Um, but it's a challenge. Um, it's a challenge because of some of the things that I've mentioned, particularly the, the disaggregation ge geographically, that makes it hard. But again, we, uh, we're, we're humble before the challenge, but we're firmly committed to solving it. And I think, you know, candid conversations like this, where you really truthfully address both the successes and the challenges are really, really helpful for the industry at large. I love having these conversations because I hope it, you know, kind of inspires people to start thinking about these problems in practical ways. And it seems like Tillamook is doing that. Um, Paul, I really want to thank you for your time today. I'm just wondering if anybody in the audience would like to learn a little bit more about Tillamook, where could they go? Uh, first place you should go is your grocery store uh, cheese case and freezer um, and, and try us out. I, I promise you won't be disappointed if you haven't tried us before. Um, uh, if you haven't had a grilled cheese made with our cheddar, um, then you're missing a treat. Uh, and so I encourage everyone to do that. Uh, to find out more about how those delicious products come to be, uh, that website that I mentioned, telemook.com slash stewardship, tells the story of our farmer's commitment to the stakeholders um, and the ways that we are driving those commitments and trying to bring uh, that very, very sort of lofty ambition about how we raise up all of these stakeholder groups, um, you know, to, to full fruition and just how deeply seated this commitment is uh, that our farmer members have around doing business the right way. Uh, it's all right there um, on the website. So I encourage you to go there. Excellent. Paul, thank you again for spending some time with us today on the Food Institute podcast. Thanks, Chris. I enjoyed it. And uh, good luck with everything in the future for you. So that's going to do it for us this week on the Food Institute podcast. Please make sure to take a look at foodinstitute.com slash newsletters, like I said at the top of the show, so that you can stay up to date on all of our great content. But until next time, this is Chris Campbell signing off. Mm -hmm.